Bible and his notes from the. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't do that. We need a new Bible. We have a nice new Bible. <laughs> morning on my way in uh, to church, about 7.30 I guess it was, uh, we got a call from Dolly Kalt that she had just got a call or just found out that uh, Troy and Mary Hunter's 40-year-old son was found dead in bed. He uh, didn't come to work for a couple days. Some of his uh, workers, uh, fellow workers, uh, were concerned about him, rode by his house, saw his car, called the police. Uh, police broke down the door, and uh, they don't know exactly, I guess it was natural causes, but they don't know what the situation is. So please pray for Mary and Troy. Uh, they are really, you know, hurting right now. And uh, let's, do, let's get our class together and try to help them meet some of their physical needs. We want to pray for them, too, in a moment. Also... We have, uh, the stock market has absolutely gone south, and now all the people who were saying that our government can bail us out of this are now saying, well, we may be able to get bailed out, but capitalism will never be the same. In other words, uh, finance, world finance, has changed on its face and by its very nature, that it will never be like it was before. So I don't know how all this stuff works, but evidently we are in for a time of pretty strong socialism in this country, economic socialism, for the next few years. And you know, once you get a grip, once the government gets a grip on finances, they don't let go. That's right. So we just have to be concerned about that and praying about that. We're going to see in our lesson today, Jesus deals with finances in a different way. And uh, if, if our nation had followed Jesus' instructions, we wouldn't have been in this problem to begin with. So we're going to, we're going to look at that. So take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 14. And when you get there, uh, and I hear the pages have stopped ruffling, we want to pray for Troy and, uh, and Mary. Those of you who do not know Troy and Mary Hunter, Troy was our... Uh, immediate past president of the president's class and did a great job and Mary is involved in uh, a lot of putting our data in computers and so on and so forth. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we can't even imagine what this is like to go through the situation to be awakened, oh, awakened in the middle of the night and told that uh, your son, who seems so healthy, uh, is gone. And we know that they were not only uh, shocked and heartbroken and all kinds of emotions have flooded them, their minds uh, in these past few hours. And uh, all they can do at this point is rely upon you and their friends to get them through. So Lord, we do ask that you minister in a powerful way at this hour. Give them the grace that face this situation. Show us, Lord, how we can uh, help them, 
help us not to say, how can we help? Just show us what to do and do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Now we are in a section beginning in chapter 14 where Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. And as he moves toward Jerusalem and ultimately his death, he has to accept hospitality on the way. It wasn't like they had a holiday inn on every corner, so people would take individuals, and Jesus had no place to lay his head, so he accepts hospitality. And in Luke 14 and verse 1 it says, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread, he's going to have a meal, on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. Now this is going to be the setting for verses 1 through 24 in this individual's house at mealtime. And we're going to divide these verses into four sections, and here's how we're going to divide them. If you're taking notes or you want to put little marks in your Bible, verses 1 through 6, Jesus asked a question regarding the Sabbath, and we're going to deal with that in their section number 1. Then section number 2 is verses 7 through 11, and here Jesus begins to instruct the dinner guest about a certain issue, about actually about social status, and we're going to exp I'm going to explain that. Uh, their place in society, he gives them instructions, that's to the dinner guest. Then in verses 12 through 14, Jesus gives instructions on social status that he directs to the host of the meal. And then finally, in verses 15 through 24, he responds to a comment that's made by the guest. All this takes place in the setting of a house, okay? Now, in order for you to understand what's happening in this section, I need to explain a little bit about social status in the Roman Empire at the time of Christ. Much of this section deals with a person's place in society. Just as we have different levels of, uh, like we have middle class, we have upper middle class, we actually divide it in all kinds, lower middle class, you know, a lower person who's lower middle class and a person who's upper middle class often doesn't have too much to do with each other. They might see each other in church or something like that. But they usually don't go out and eat together. You usually eat with people of your status, people who are upper class. And then you have the old rich and you have the young rich. and You know, all these kinds of different stratas of wealth. And that's what you had in Jesus' day. And this section deals with social status, customs that are related to social status, and religious boundaries. Social status and religious boundaries, or put it this way, religious boundaries and social boundaries. You see yourself within a certain socio-economic class. Everybody in this room sees themselves that way. And we also have certain religious boundaries. You might consider yourself a Baptist. Some people say, well, I consider myself a Christian first. Others say, I consider myself an evangelical. And that means I believe certain things. And I don't associate religiously with people who are not Baptist or who are not evangelicals, who don't believe these certain doctrines. Or you see yourself as a Baptist, and another group sees themselves as Episcopal. And another group sees themselves as Muslims. So there are certain religious boundaries. And we move within certain boundaries was absolutely no different in Jesus' day. Meals, eating meals, were one way that a person established his or her place 
in the pecking order in society. Were you on the A list? Or were you on the B list to be invited to meals? Or did you not get invited to any parties and meals or banquets? Because you weren't on the A list, you weren't on the B list, you were on no list. And who do you invite to your parties? When you have a dinner, who do you invite? You usually invite people like yourself, don't you? That determines, and that's how we operate, and that's how they operate. Who you invited to your party and who you didn't invite to your party. Those kinds of things established social boundaries. Okay, does that make sense to you? So, in verse 1, what I want you to notice, a couple things about this verse, in verse, chapter 14, is that Jesus is a dinner guest of a very prominent citizen. Now notice, it says it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the synagogue. This is a prominent citizen. Who do you think his guest would be? Well, they would be also prominent citizens. That's just the way it was, and that's how it is today. Notice, second of all, it takes place after worship service. He went in the house of one of the rulers to eat bread on the Sabbath. It's like the lunch bunch. They go out to eat after Sunday school. This was a meal that was eaten probably after synagogue service. And uh, maybe a lunch or maybe a dinner, we're not sure, but it's connected to the Sabbath. And then notice, finally, that Jesus is scrutinized in verse 1. And they watched him closely. Notice they. That means there's more. It's not just the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus eating lunch together. It's not just the two people, he has guests, and they're all scrutinizing, they're all monitoring Jesus. Now, why are they monitoring Jesus? Because the Pharisees throughout Luke's Gospel were always watching out for Jesus. They want to see if he'll slip up, if he'll say something controversial, and it's no difference here. Here, Now, why is Jesus at this meal to begin with? He's certainly not of their economic class. He's poor. Mary and Joseph couldn't even bring a lamb when they dedicated their child. They had to bring two turtle doves. That's a poor family. So here we have a poor man eating with people of higher class. Why is Jesus invited? Because he was the teacher in the synagogue that day. And teachers were always given a certain status and a respect. It's like having the preacher over to your house for dinner after church service. Literally and metaphorically, you have the preacher over for dinner. You get that? Okay. You have the preacher for dinner. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically. Or metaphorically or whatever. I don't know. Well, they have Jesus over. Guess what they're doing? They're watching him. They're watching him. Now, look what it says in verse 2. And behold, there was a certain man before him. Notice the word behold. Look! Suddenly! Somebody shows up, unexpected, walks into this room where all these prominent people are eating. Who is it? Behold, there was a certain man just comes up in front of Jesus, one who had dropsy. Now, he's totally out of place. He's out of his environment. He just, but he, he, has, he has a problem. He's sick. And he finds out that Jesus is in this man's house and guess what? They didn't have doors and blocks like we do. A lot of things were just gates and you could go in and 
He just shows up. Now, dropsy is a disease where the body retains fluid. It's like a person has a congestive heart failure and the, uh, the heart can't pump the fluid out of the body. And so what we have is we have this man who has this fluid buildup and it affects you. Uh, you just feel uh, you know, weak all the time. So this man shows up. But he's out of place. And guess what? When he showed up, don't think that the ruler of the synagogue said, Ah, oh, good to see you! <clears throat> they looked at this guy and said, What are you doing here? Okay. So you always are having to read between the lines. And the only way you can read between the lines is if you understand the customs of the day. Take the customs out and you don't understand what's going on. So you need to understand social boundaries and religious boundaries. This man is considered unclean. This is a guy who can't even go into the temple and worship. We remove him from the temple. He just doesn't belong there. And he certainly doesn't belong in this ruler's house. Now look at verse 3. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. This shows you the caliber of guests that were at this meal. And here's what he said. Jesus asked them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We have these pious people who've just been to synagogue, and Jesus says to them, including the lawyers who were the interpreters of the Old Testament law, let me ask you a question. Is it, uh, is it lawful, according to the law of Moses, to heal on the Sabbath? Now, last week or two weeks ago, we saw the same question. Remember that? Uh, only that time when Jesus healed, it was the ruler of the synagogue who said, <coughs> You healed on the Sabbath? I could have waited till Monday morning. Remember that? This time Jesus brings it up. And he wants to see what they're going to say. And what do they say? Look at verse 4. They kept silent on purpose. He asked him a question. It was it. They didn't give him an answer. Why? Because they wanted to see what he was going to do. <laughs> they didn't want to tip their hand one way or the other. They just keep quiet, says in verse 4. And so Jesus took that man and he healed him. And he, very important phrase here, let him go, he released him. Remember back in Luke 4 when Jesus went into the temple, or into the synagogue, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and to set the captives free. I'm here to loose people. And guess what he does? He absolutely looses this man and he's healed instantly of his dropsy. And then verse 5 says this. You can imagine what those guests were thinking. Remember, they're, they're monitoring Jesus. They're monitoring him. And I don't think they're happy about the healing either, do you? Why not? That's that. That's right. Now watch this. Then he knows what they're thinking, and says, so he answered them. Doesn't say they said anything, but he knows what they're thinking in their mind. He says, now which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Now, he asked them this question, this follow-up question. He says, you're uptight over this guy being healed on the Sabbath, but if your ox fell into a pit, you'd go out and get it. You'd rescue it. You would release it. You would free it. But you're more, you'd be more concerned about your ox than you are a human being. See, he is exposing them. 
Notice it says in verse 5 that they could not answer him. In verse 4, it says they kept silent. In verse 4, they would not answer him because they didn't want to tip their hand. In verse 5, they could not answer him. In verse 4, they would not answer him. In verse 6, they could not answer him. They could not because if they answered him, it would expose them for what they are, hypocrites. Who would rescue an ox, but wouldn't rescue a man. So, Jesus, in a way, exposes them. Okay? So that ends section number one. He asks this question. Now, isn't that a nice way to treat your host? Uh, you've been invited to lunch, and you're already in some sort of theological debate. And I, there's one person that's happy, and it's the man who's been freed from prophecy. But now we come to section number two. Now, Jesus is now going to turn to the guest, plural, and he is going to talk about social status. Look at verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose what? The best places. One of the ways that a person's status was recognized or determined was by seating arrangements. And uh, we still have that practice today, I think. Who sits at the head table? Uh, elevated above the rest of the room. Uh, who sits in the sky boxes? <laughs> See, your social status is recognized by everybody around you where you are sitting. This is why I always like to go to these banquets uh, where I get a free ticket. Somebody gives me a free ticket? You say, hey, I, I got a table. This average person has a table. Maybe they work for an organization. They say, hey, give us a free table. Would you like to come? And I say, yes. It's always Way in the back. You know, always in the back. So I know that when a poor person is given a free table who works for an organization and likes me where I'm going to sit. Uh, and that's just because the organization who has given away the free table doesn't think the person who gets the free table is worth one up front. Isn't that true? Just the way it is. So the way you could determine a person's social status was by the way they sat or where they sit. And so Jesus had been watching this. He noticed when all the guests come into the room, some head for the best seats. So while they were monitoring him, guess what he was doing? <laughs> he was monitoring them. He was watching what they're doing. So he's going to tell a parable here. And this is very interesting. He says to them in verse 8, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast or any kind of dinner, don't sit in the best place. Don't sit in the best place. What's he saying by saying that? Don't seek status. And by the way, let me tell you something. The way you could, you could elevate or you could lower your status by wherever you were seated. He says, don't go seeking status. Lest one more honorable, one with more status than you, is invited by him, meaning the host. And he who invited you and him comes and says to you, give your place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lower seat. So here you are, there's a place at the head table, an empty chair there, 
you figure, well, why not? You go up and you sit down there, and uh, you're there for 10 minutes, and everything's getting settled, and everyone's looking up at the head table, and then the host comes and says, well, who are you? You say, well, I'm Alan Street. And they say, well, you know, we want that seat for someone else. And so that other person gets the better seat, and guess what I have to do? I have to, in shame, walk out. And everyone sees me, and they say, what was he doing up there in the first place? You said things like that before. You know what that's what's going on. <laughs> so the way people could move up or down, as we will see, is uh, by your seating arrangements. If I used to sit down on the floor, but one day I am invited to sit on the platform, guess what that means? My social status has been elevated. And the closer I could sit to the host, <laughs> don't you like it when you go to a church function and you're asked to sit at the pastor's table? And you know, everybody in the room is looking at that table and they're looking at you. You see, that's just the way it is. Absolutely no different in Jesus' time. That's how you can move up or you can move down. And once you're up, guess what? You don't want to move down. <laughs> So Jesus noticed everybody's been vying for these top tables, best seats. Now look at verse 10. He says, but here's what you should do. You don't want to end up being embarrassed, so here's what you should do. When you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. No matter who you are. No matter who you are. No matter how rich you are, no matter how well known you are, go down and sit in the lower place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the advice that Jesus gives to the guests. And if you were a guest hearing this, you would say, that's the craziest, dumbest, <coughs> stupidest thing I have ever heard. That's not how we do things. That is not how society operates. Because that's, and that's not how things were done at this meal. And so you, they would consider this totally against societal norms. You only invite people of your social group and everybody knows where they are in the pecking order, and there is no doubt about it. And the way we do it today is we just have a number on your ticket and what table you sit. And that determines very quickly where you are in the pecking order. Or the price of the ticket, or whatever the situation. Does that make sense to you? Now, look at verse 12. We come to this next section, section 3. Now he's going to speak to the host. Okay? Then he said to him who invited him. Now I have some advice for you, buddy. Think he said it like that? I don't think so. That's how I would say it. Then he said to him who invited him. And by the way, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends. Now I want you to imagine Jesus is giving this advice to you and me. Okay? Don't think he's giving it to the people 2,000 years ago. Just apply it to your own selves. And I'll try to apply it to myself. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest 
they also invite you back and you are repaid. See? But, when you give a uh, feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Don't invite these. That's my advice. Here's the counter proposal. But invite these. Now, there is a big distinction between the first group and the second group. Would you agree with that? The first group are within the religious boundaries that you associate with and are within social boundaries. The second group are social outcasts and religiously they're unclean or unfit for temple worship. Sort of like the man with dropsy. Jesus says when you have a meal, that is who you should invite. Now, if Jesus, very important that you get this, if Jesus' advice is accepted. If this advice is accepted, then the entire system, what's called the patronage system, the entire patronage system is turned on its head. It is, it becomes topsy-turvy. And what you have is you have, believe this or not, this is going to sound like a communist now, but you know, I don't care about that. <laughs> I'm like the pastor. You'll hate me and you'll love me. It doesn't really matter. You'll have a distribution of wealth. Because meals were economic affairs. Now I want you to listen very carefully because this, if you don't get it, you miss the whole point of what Jesus is talking about. This is somewhat of an economic lesson as well as a sociological lesson. If I invite all my rich people, let's say I'm rich, and I invite all my rich people, guess what? Each one of those will invite me back. And there's just been a transfer back and forth of money that's been spent on the dinner and the meal. Because they're going to invite you back. But if you invite somebody who can't pay you back, guess what happens? There is a distribution of the wealth. You've spent the money, and guess what? You're not getting it back. It has now been spread out to the lowly. And when we, this is what's been happening, this is what's wrong with our economic system. We've seen capitalism run amok minus morality. Capitalism's a great system if it has the moral component. Take the moral component out and all it has is greed. And everybody's trying to get rich. Everybody's trying to get rich. Now let's say you had all that money. Now watch, how much money would you say the average millionaire Multi-millionaire lost this week in stock. They didn't put everything in bonds or money market or fixed rate, you know, uh, instruments. They lost a lot of money. And it's gone. Wouldn't have been great if two weeks ago they would have fed the hungry with that money? Now what's happened to their money now? Where is it? Somebody said, where does that money go? <laughs> well, whatever happened, no one knows where the money goes. The value just goes. But you could have used that money and used your money for other purposes. In fact, you could have fed the poor. And that's what Jesus said they were to do. Now watch what would have happened. Had the man brought in the poor people and fed them, 
What would have happened to their social status, the poor people? Moved it up. So you need to read this, and when we get to this last parable that Jesus tells, you need to read it in this light, not as a, the way it's usually read in Luke's gospel. Okay? Now look what he says in verse 14. You say, well, that's ridiculous, giving money away like that, feeding all these people. Well, Jesus says, you'll be blessed. So your argument's not with me. Guess who your argument is with? Jesus. You'll be blessed. Look why you'll be blessed. Because they can't repay you. Wait a second. That doesn't make sense. You're going to be blessed because they can't repay you. Four. You will be repaid when? At the resurrection of the just. You'll be repaid when? At the resurrection of the just. There's going to be a resurrection day when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And at that time, everything that you've given in the name of Jesus ministering is going to be repaid to you. That's why we talk about laying up treasures where? In heaven. In heaven. <laughs> where uh, the stock market doesn't crash. <laughs> you know? So, the resurrection of the just. Now the question is, who are the just? And we will see that the just are those who do what Jesus said. And those who just invite their friends, they're not the just. And guess what? They're not going to be in the resurrection of the just. They're going to be in the resurrection of the, well, the other group. The unjust, which produces punishment. So the blessing comes. Why does it come? Because you're going to get it in the resurrection of the just. So this is what we call an eschatological blessing. It occurs when the resurrection occurs. Now, these are Pharisees. The Pharisees believe in what? Remember, the Sadducees believe in what? And the Pharisees believe? What is it? Pharisees believe in what? Resurrection. Sadducees didn't. They believe in the resurrection. They're hoping they're going to be resurrected. That's what they're planning on. We believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. Well, great. If you believe in the resurrection, there's a great payday coming. But in order to get it, here's what you have to do. Otherwise, you might not be in that resurrection of the just, even though you believe in it. So the implications here are far-reaching. Because... The just who are going to be resurrected are those who have transferred their value system. And they are now living according to kingdom principles. Now we have this last section beginning in verse 15. I love this little section right here. Because now what you have is it says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things. What things? What he just said about the resurrection of the just. That man said to Jesus, Blessed is he who shall eat bread. Where? In the kingdom of God. See? Notice the connection between resurrection and kingdom of God and resurrection and eating. Because when the kingdom of God comes, guess what? God's going to throw a great banquet. And all the banquets that you threw and you fed the poor and you spent your money on are going to look 
very small in comparison with that spread. And you're going to get more than your money's worth. It's going to be a smorgasbord. It's going to last for eternity. And you're going to be totally repaid. And so when Jesus says to somebody, well, blessed is he who eats the bread in the kingdom of God. And I, Jesus could have said, yes, blessed is he. But you better make sure you're he. <laughs> but this guy just blurts it out. Blessed is he. It's like we have big mouths who always jump and say things. This is what this guy's doing. He's taking Jesus' statement and saying, yeah, blessed is he. So Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. Okay? So now he's going to answer this guy through a, a parable. Now look at this. Look at verse 16. Then Jesus said to the man, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. Now I want you to notice that this is a wealthy man. How do we know it's a wealthy man? Because he gave a great supper. I mean, this is a big, big fair. This is like, you know, the affair of the year. No one wants to miss. And notice who he invited. He invited many. So this is a major, major banquet for wealthy men. And he sent his servant at supper time. Let me read verse 16. And he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. He has an invitation list. And it is an A-list. And then he sends his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited on the A-list, Come, for all things are now ready. So they didn't just send out invitations, give you a time, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, certain date, because they didn't have watches in those days. You know, it wasn't like that. Uh, it wasn't like you could just go to Costco and buy everything in one place. Preparation for a great banquet took a great deal of time. And so they had blocked off the day, and, but when it came time, and everyone lived in the community. It wasn't like here. We have one lives in Plano, one lives in Garland, one lives in Denton, you know. Uh, everybody just lived in the neighborhood. And so he sends his servant out and says, okay, it's time for the dinner. Now watch what happens. Okay. Verse 18. But they all, with one accord, in unison, began to make excuses. Here is where you can read over the text if you don't understand the custom. What they are doing. This is a calculated and a unified snub. This is a calculated and a unified snub to marginalize the host. He has invited a certain category of people on his A-list, and in unison, guess what they said? No. No. And guess what that's going to do to the host social status? Move him down a notch. So that's what they're trying to do. And it can happen just like that. Move from one category to another category. I mean, they did it in one accord. That's the important thing. They did it in unison. This was calculated. They all said when they got their invitation, I'm not going to go to that thing. You ever do that? You get an invitation, you say to two or three, I'm not going to go. They say, I'm not going to go to that either. And guess what? That's all it takes. 
I was watching uh, like Entertainment Tonight or one of those kind of Hollywood shows and the other day and it had an actress or a singer, I guess she was, and she was the hottest thing in Hollywood last year. And here's Entertainment Tonight on the scene of a the best restaurant in Hollywood, one that takes, you can't get into, you know, it just and here she is standing out in line with the rest of the poor saps. A year later now, a year later, a year later, the hottest thing a year ago, standing outside on the sidewalk, waiting her turn to get into the restaurant. She's going to have to stand out there three or four hours. The year before, Entertainment Tonight said, she could just walk past the crowds. They recognized her, they opened the door, and she would go in, she had the best seat in the house. But guess what? In one year, she dropped from there to there, and her social status was diminished, and even the restaurant recognized it. So guess what she had to do? Stand in the line like every, everybody else is ordinary. That's what they do, in unison. In a calculated way, they are snubbing this man, trying to marginalize him and say, he's not in our class anymore. Okay? For some reason, we don't know if he's gotten them mad. We just don't know what the reason is. But this is an intentional snub to knock him down to a lower status. Now look at verse 18, the middle of verse 18. The first said, I have to go and buy a piece of ground. I, I have bought a piece of ground. I'll show you they're rich. Uh, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, which was enough to do a whole field, and I'm going to go out and test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So this man is no longer in the in-group. The A-list has been invited, and they have all bowed out. Now look at verse 21. So the servant came, and he reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house, being very angry, said, I'll get even! No, he doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't say, watch what I'll do next time when they invite me. Well, guess what? They're not going to invite him. <laughs> There's not going to be any invitation for him next time. He gets angry, but he doesn't seek any revenge, retaliation. Notice what happens. It says in verse 21, he gets angry. Now, by the way, even though they stubbed him, you know, he can move back up in status immediately. All he would have to do is build a monument in honor of one of these people. Or build an, a, a monument or make a big donation in the name of Caesar to, a big, to some organization. And you know what happens? The community sees him as a great benefactor, and immediately that quick he can move up. He doesn't seek to do that. And he's angry. He doesn't seek to move up again. And it was very easy. There are hundreds of books out right now talking about what Imperial Rome was like and how society, people in society wanted to move up and constantly wanted to move up. Upward mobility, social mobility. And he doesn't even think of doing that, which is in Jesus' story. Now remember, this is a story. Okay? So let's look and see what happens. It says he was angry, and so he said to his servants, watch this. Said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. 
Have you seen those words before? We saw those up in verse 13. Now, what did Jesus say in verse 13? If you're going to invite people, don't invite your relative, your rich friends. Who should you invite? The poor? The lame? Now Jesus is telling a story of a man who did invite his friends. And they didn't show up. And guess what he does? He goes out and does exactly what Jesus said. He wakes up to the fact, hey, this social upward mobility is not all that it's cracked out to be. Maybe I should do something else. And so he invites these kinds of people. Now I want you to notice something. It's very important that you notice where he sends his servant. He sends them into the streets and the lanes. That's where poor people live. They live right on Main Street. They don't live in the houses a few blocks back. They live on the where the trash is. And you know, right in not in real good neighborhoods. This is where poor people live. This is where they hung out. The streets and lanes of the city. Okay? This is just reinforcing, verse 21 is simply reinforcing Jesus' teaching back there in verse 13. So, if I could give you a lesson right at this point, not wait to the end of the class, the lesson is, don't seek approval from men. That's the lesson. Don't seek approval from men. Seek God's approval. This is what God likes to see happen. And then, guess what? When the resurrection of Jeff comes, he'll repay you. Don't seek men's approval. Seek God's approval. And that's basically what we have going here. Okay? So now look at verse 22. And the servant said, Master, it's done. I've invited them all. And there's still room. In fact, he said, bring them in, didn't he? Didn't they just invite them? Go get them. Why would he say, go get them? By the way, they knew they didn't belong in that man's house. <laughs> you give them an invitation, they're not going to show up to that place. So go bring them in. Okay? So he says, well, wait, I've already done that, and there's still room. Now look at verse 23. Then the master said to the servant, Well, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be full. Go out beyond the city limits. Go out to where the hicks live. Go out to the sticks. Go out where people don't, they have overalls. They don't have three and four and five and six and seven and eight, five hundred and a thousand dollars and two thousand and three thousand dollar suits. All they have is overhauls. Go after the people who are people of the ground, people of the earth, who have absolutely, absolutely no social status and could not repay you in any way possible. He says, go out and notice, compel them to come in. One is bringing the poor and the lame in, but guess what? These people are so far out, they're going to say, oh man, I can't do it. Just grab them and compel them to come in, persuade them to come in. They won't want to come. You know why? They know they'll be out of their league. They know they don't belong in that place. They know their place in the pecking order is right down the bottom. They're the lowest of the low. He said, I want you to go out, and I want you to bring in the lowest of the low. And they won't want to come. You know what, people? I'm going to say something here. It's very serious. You know why people, most people, don't want to go to a traditional First Baptist-type church? You know what, what they say? I don't have any clothes. And they're saying, that place is too highfalutin for me. 
I don't feel comfortable there, I don't feel welcome. There was a lady, I won't say who it was, who came into our Sunday school class a few weeks ago and uh, wrote me a note. And uh, she said, I really like the teaching. And the table, I'm sitting around, but it just seems like a rich class. And I said, well, you're welcome. I said, not everybody's rich. I said, we got people every kind of person. You know, I sort of poo-pooed it type thing. But it didn't matter. It really didn't, and I don't think our class is like that. But let me just say this, that's how she perceives it. It doesn't matter how we are. In her mind, what she was saying is, I don't feel comfortable, I don't have any clothes. You know, that's what she was saying. That's why you have to do whatever you can to bring them in, into the fold, to compel them to come in. So that's what we have. Uh, this man has absolutely nothing to gain by bringing these people in. Okay? Now, look at verse 20. Jesus tells that story. <clears throat> now, I don't know if verse 24 is the host words. They're in red. <clears throat> or if they're Jesus explaining the story. But either way, they mean the same thing. Notice this. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. I will tell you that none of those men who were invited, now who was invited? People of a certain status. People who believed in this reciprocal social relationship of tit for tat. You invite me, I invite you, we're all on each other's list, we all belong to the same clothes. He said, I tell, tell you now, if this is Jesus explaining the story, and this is the kingdom that he's describing, because I believe that it is, because back in verse 15, what did the man say? Blessed are those who eat bread. Notice, blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. Look what Jesus says in verse 24. For I say to you that none of those who were invited shall look, eat bread in the kingdom, shall eat my supper. What an exclamation here. What's Jesus saying? Who's going to make it in? Who's going to make it into the kingdom? Who's going to make it into the messianic banquet? It's those whose values have been absolutely turned upside down and transformed. Now this man's going to make it in. Because guess what? He's left that old world system mentality behind. And he has now embraced the kingdom mentality. He will make it in, and guess who will not make it in? The people on the A-list who are not willing to reorient their life, called repentance, break with the past and reorient their life toward the kingdom. So Jesus calls us to a transformation of values. It's a life that is characterized by concern for others more than for ourselves. Seek ye great things for yourself? Seek them not. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We'll pick up 
at verse 25 next week. Father, we thank you for Luke's gospel. It rubs us many times the wrong way, and yet its truth is so real we can't get away from it. And it forces us now, Lord, to look at our own selves and say, well, what am I going to do with the money that's in my wallet? What am I going to do? And so many of us want to say, in light of the crash, well, we'll wait to do this. But you always say that now is the accepted time. Lord, either we can trust you to repay us, as you said you would, in this life and in the life to come. Or we would just continue to operate the way we want to. But then, Lord, we're not guaranteed a place in the resurrection of the righteous or of the just. So, Lord, we want to be righteous. We want to seek the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And then, Lord, indeed, we can exclaim, blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.